This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Uh, I am joined today by Dr. Ann Shivas, who is going to talk to us about some epigenetics and how we can just optimize our health through that. And we will, I've kind of explained uh, a little bit before about epigenetics, but we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into that today. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Shivas um, has a PhD in epigenetics, uh, which is, uh, I would think, kind of rare to find. And she has she works with people all over to just kind of help optimize their health. She's got a, a much longer resume, and I'll let her tell uh, anything else she wants to add. Uh, but Dr. Ann, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Greg. Happy to be here. All right. Well, let's first just get started. Tell us just about your journey, how you ended up doing what you do, because I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone like in high school and even in college, it's rare to say, oh, I'm going to get a PhD in epigenetics uh, or I'm going to be an epigeneticist. So how did that journey start for you? Kind of fell into it by accident. I think like we all do when we go down the rabbit hole of searching for answers for ourselves and for our clients. Um, and much like you and I had talked just a little bit before of things that weren't working in our lives, right? Like, you know, we were, we were sitting there and we're saying, gosh, this isn't working for my, my patients, my clients, and I need to find better solutions for them. So, and, and naturally for myself as well. Um, and so on the personal front, um, oh, I started off actually as a teacher and in my master's of teaching. And then I went into health because that was really where my passion lied. And uh, I finished my degree in osteopathy. And during that, I decided to kind of go down this path of let's call it alternative or medicine or functional medicine. There's all these new names. Um, it's just not mainstream medicine, let's call it. And started studying all the traditional medicines. So, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic and so on. And then I started looping those into my practice that I used to have and thinking, oh, I'm getting some good results here. Um, I need to dive in a little bit deeper. And I ended up meeting a professor uh, over in the UK who was doing this thing called epigenetics. And I'd read a few books on it and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this is all about genes, microbiology and how our cells and DNA expresses in certain environments. I need to take a deeper dive into this. And I need to understand and help my clients understand themselves on a deeper level, because if they do, ultimately they have choice of what they're doing in each moment in each day, whether it's, you know, putting food in your mouth, choosing what time to sleep and so on. And so I decided to just loop my practice into doing the PhD and used a lot of um, my clinical work within my PhD, which worked out really well. And I knew my clients, so I was seeing great results with them and they were starting to understand themselves better and, and not coming back for the same 
repetitive thing. And I was thinking, okay, I'm onto something here. And that's really where the, the journey for me started. And uh, naturally, I started with myself first. Who am I? <laughs> what body do I live in? How do I operate naturally on the planet? Am I in that position to operate for myself? So, you know, even work, how I think and see the world, we can talk about that. And, and then am I feeding myself the right foods to get the best energy out of myself? And so I had all these questions and I didn't grow up knowing any of that stuff. So uh, this was really the deep dive for me um, going into epigenetics and, and discovering this world that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and, and I kind of uh, skimmed over the, so, so you're a DO uh, and did you practice medicine and then go back and get your PhD? I, I kind of skimmed over that whole part, but. So in Canada, because I'm Canadian, a DO is an osteopath, uh, two different terms. An osteopath in the US can, I think it depends on the state actually, but they can prescribe medicines. Mm -hmm. In Canada, we can't. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's different. And, okay. Yeah. And in the practice, I had medical doctors. We would refer over to medical doctors, which would do that. Uh, so we do loop over into the same world in a way, um, but a lot of people would come to me for pain management, for um, inflammatory responses, for chronic illnesses that they just couldn't get rid of, these types of things. And I just saw them putting their bodies back into those scenarios on repeat and I couldn't yeah. figure out why they were doing it. And that was my big question mark at some point. And I was like, I need something a little bit more, I think. So I went into gotcha. that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. That's what uh, I guess kind of threw me is so uh, here we won't get off in this rabbit hole, but I mean, and I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but I'm a, I'm a DO or a doctor of osteopathy, but um, it's equivalent to an MD. Matter of fact, we have the same combined residencies now and there's DOs that are neurosurgeons and ophthalmologists and all the specialties. And so in uh, pretty much in every state, I think now it's just pretty much equivalent, but it sounds like a little bit different in Canada. So yeah. But uh, okay, so so you went on to study the epigenetics um, for for the reasons you mentioned, and so you know describe it, and you, and you said it briefly, but if you will, uh, kind of unpack just the the definition of epigenetics a little bit more. Okay, so I'm Anne, and I live in a body, <laughs> and my body expresses itself every day in certain ways. And the interesting part is we all have our unique code and we can call that our DNA code. So here I am, I'm Anne, I grew up on a farm, you know, I have my mom and a dad and um, pretty standard life, ate, you know, the meat and potatoes kind of thing <laughs> growing up, this kind of stuff. So environment plays a big role in how we express ourselves, how we express ourselves on a mental front, on a physical front and how we manage stress. So really the big essence of epigenetics is saying, well, if we keep expressing genes in us that causes a stress response, so we could call that an inflammatory response, we're not living our best lives. And are we putting our bodies in those environments to do that? And, you know, we can take a simple, um, just a simple example of, let's just say gluten, because that's a big topic these days and say, you know, I'm in and I was eating pasta, you know, four times a week growing up, for example, that's not true, but just say I was, you know, I might end up with a gut health issue 10 years down the road. 
So it's that compound interest that really creates a gene expression that's going to, you know, in a way express and give us a message saying, and you might not want to do this anymore and you need to make some changes. And it's usually not until we get into that state of, oh my gosh, I have something chronic and I don't know what to do. Now I have to start reversing it. Then we start to make the change. And really what I would love to do is teach people more around prevention, like saying we actually don't need to live with chronic disease. And if you understand your body a little bit better and what it requires and who you really are, you can just line yourself up in your days to really perform in in a way, I want to say optimize yourself, but just live how you're supposed to live in your body uh, to thrive. And and then that gets into the conversation of chronic disease, doesn't it? Do we really need to be, you know, does, does diabetes need to be so high? Um, per capita, it's huge in the US. You know, I was looking up the stats the other day and it's like, well, you know, we know type two is reversible. So let's work with that and let's start teaching people what they can do for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So funny you say that because uh, 90% of the medical community does not acknowledge that. Uh, (laughs) Oh, well, then I guess we should talk to them. (laughs) And and, uh, yeah, good luck. But, you know, you know, my listeners have heard me say this before, but that was one of the things that made me uh, you know, start to question conventional medicine. I mean, there was a lot of things, but you know, no one ever taught me. I mean, I went to four years of medical school and residency and nobody ever taught me that diabetes was reversible. They're talking type two. I mean, they, they teach us or give, give them a pill and give them another pill. And then when that doesn't work, put them on insulin. I mean, that's what we're taught. And so, you know, to reverse that thinking is going to take, it's difficult and it's going to take a long time. So, Well, that's great that you're doing what you're doing, because I think it all starts with the conversation of education, right? And if people can just start to understand and say, oh, there might be another way, and I'm going to explore that, that that's a great start for people, right? Yeah, so, and I, I think it's great, you know, to have these conversations and, you know, and I have these sometimes in clinic to get people to understand because I'll hear, oh, you know, I'm doomed because, uh, you know, my, my mother had Alzheimer's disease or they had this. And so it comes back to the epigenetics. I mean, and, and that, you know, you don't have to become that if you give your body the right kind of environment, that's not going to express those genes. But unfortunately, uh, at least here in the United States, you know, gosh, we live in a very toxic environment. We eat really crappy food. And so we give our genetics the perfect environment, you know, to express those, all those bad stuff. And Mm -hmm. and so it's just a matter of of reversing that thinking. And I'm sure that's a a lot of kind of what you do is, uh, is just changing habits and behaviors so that those genes aren't expressed. Is it? Right. Yeah. And let's take diabetes, for example, um, because I think it's a hot topic these days. Right. And so let's take even type one and type two type one. Okay. Yes. You have to live with it, but it's manageable. And if you're eating the right foods and exercising at the right time, those two things alone can really have a massive impact on, on what your body's doing. And, you know, you'll get your average listeners on here too, saying, well, my health's not amazing but it's not bad. So I just don't really know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> and it, and then, so what I love to teach into is a thing called gene clusters. So, you know, if you live, I live in a more kind of mesomorphic type body, right? So we have the endos, the ectos and the mesos. So the ectos are that more kind of slim, slender type. The mesotypes are more of that muscular, like gymnast type body, right? And then our ectos would carry a little bit more weight on their body. And 
each of those bodies, um, we broke them down and they have certain clusters within them that would say, well, you're more predisposed to have this. And this is usually what I teach people. And then I say, okay, so now you know what body you live in. You're more predisposed to, let's say, go down the path of diabetes, which is usually the endo type bodies. What can we do to put you in the right environment to really thrive? Well, it gets interesting because within certain clusters of a, of a gene pool, um, meaning that they have, you know, a combination of genes that would express diabetes, we would say, well, actually, <clears throat> you're not a morning person. Okay, I'm going to ruffle a lot of feathers here. <laughs> um, because, you know, and, and guess what, we've been getting you out of bed as a kid since, you know, at 630 in the morning and get rushing you at the door to get you to school and you're not even half awake yet. I'm sure a lot of people can really, you know, empathize with this because it's like, well, you know, I was put into that system, but my body's not designed for it. And so, you know, over time, this body learns to say, well, I am a morning person, but I've, you know, casted aside that it, I'm actually kind of stressed in the morning. And then I, and then I think that I need to go to the morning exercise classes because that's how I'm going to lose weight. So they get up, they exercise, they're out there at like 5.30 in the morning and at 5.30 in the morning on a chronobiology clock, their body's still on a detox phase. Their liver's still detoxing. They're not supposed to be awake yet. Right. So what happens is we're creating a stress response and this stress response will actually produce more insulin in their body and an inflammatory response, and they'll actually gain weight from working out in the morning. And we've seen this in studies. So it's like, well, hang on, let's put that body in the right environment and get the timing right for this person. Let's get them, you know, out of bed slowly in the morning, having some space, place, and time to just, you know, really map out their morning and, and how their day is going to go. They're maybe not the morning birds, so to speak. I'm not saying 10 o'clock, but, you know, get out of bed at seven, work your way into the day. And then, and what happens is their insulin levels build up. And so they eat some food, build up their insulin levels, burn it off. And that in a way would balance out their sugar cravings over time. And, and with that change alone of exercise time, um, we're changing the whole body dynamics. And that's just one thing. Think about how many things we do in a day. So yeah. just the exercise. And, and then, you know, the world is kind of built on this like one size fits all approach and, and we can't work that way. So the poor endos are thinking they have to go to the morning exercise class to get the results they need. And, and that's not true. <laughs> it's not true at all. Mm. Um, that's uh, interesting. I've never, I guess, really thought about timing. Of course, I preach a lot about proper nutrition and exercise, but the, the timing of it is, is not really talked about much. And so how can people determine that, like, you know, where they, when they should exercise? Is it just as simple as kind of listening to your body? I mean, how do we know? Well, so what I work with is a program that puts you into your own you know, body type in a way. So you figure out if you're an endo, an ecto, or a meso. And there's a way we could do it and get your listeners to do it. I'll try to make a really good visual verbally as well. Um, if you take your middle finger and your thumb, you can do it with me if you want, and you wrap it around where your watch would go, right? I don't know if you can do it with your mic. And um, if you really overlap, um, you'd probably be more of an ecto type body. If you just overlap like I do, you're probably more of a meso. And if you just touch or you don't touch at all, it would be more of an endo type body. So where do you sit? <laughs> I'm in the, I'm in the meso, which I, I knew I was anyway. So yeah. Okay. But that correlated. And, so yeah, exactly. So 
you guys say miso, mezzo, miso. Um, so, um, yeah. So anyway, um, knowing just that alone, that's called seismatology. So we're looking at different ratios of the body and that'll kind of tell us, okay, this is the body type that I live in. And everyone always asks me, can I change? And I say, no, (laughs) you can't. You're born into the body that you, that you're given and you have special strengths in it. And it's about working with those strengths to really optimize yourself. So let's take the endo body and say, wow, you know, this body is one of the strongest bodies on the planet. You know, are we going to actually put this body into doing, you know, uh, marathon cycling, these kind of things? Well, no, that's more of the ectotype body. They love that. You know, you go into Tour de France and you see all these more kind of slim ectotype bodies. They're meant for that. They're that endurance type sport people. But then, you know, you go over to like the world's strongest men. And who do you see? An endotype body. Those guys are strong (laughs) and they're built for that and they can lift heavy. So the type of exercise they're doing and then the timing is essential. The timing is called chronobiology. So it's the time you eat, the time you are exercising and and burning off certain calories and um, stabilizing your sugars and your bodies in your body that day. Um, it'll be different for everyone. Us um, mesos, we'll call it, um, we can kind of rock and roll whenever. We just love moving. We love connecting. We love expressing. And that's, you know, the, the more um, meso type body or the moving type. So just different strengths and different types. And it's all about really putting yourself in those strengths. Um, I'm over in New Zealand at the moment and there's, you know, there's a huge rugby culture over here. And you see a lot of endo bodies playing rugby. Gosh, they're strong. They can push, they can endure and they can tackle, they can do it all. And uh, it's just a game really built for that type of body in, in general. You see a lot of them playing in it. So it's quite interesting to even look in sport and see people you know, just thriving in their natural state. Well, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, at least over here where I'm at in the Midwest, I feel like we live in just a very kind of, toxic environment that's not good for epigenetics i mean uh you know we're, we're stressed number one and uh, you know then we we most people go into an office and they sit most all day and they're under fluorescent lights and then we're eating you know highly processed foods so i mean let's get into some f- kind of practical things and and you mentioned uh, one there is just kind of exercise timing but what are some other things we can do like over in this part of the country uh, that can maybe help shift you know those epigenetics and obviously nutrition is one and we can start going down that rabbit hole if you want to and, and but talk about some things we can do well actually i'm going to refer to a guy in florida who wrote a book called slipping my mind at the moment um embrace the sun that's what it's Mm. called and um can't remember his name off the top of my head but i loved his book and i and i really honor his book because it talks a lot about vitamin d so let's let's talk about environment right what are you doing every day and is your body getting enough nutrients and minerals it needs to thrive well in a way we could say nature really gives us everything we need right um you know, nature is not Taco Bell <laughs> as well, right? We know that. Um, we want to be looking at what grows on fruit trees and what grows in our vegetable garden and really start making those choices and eliminating things in packages. And so <clears throat> why I like coming back to this enhancing, um, embracing the sun book, sorry, is that um, the doctor in there talks about getting natural vitamin D. 
And just getting some sun exposure in the day can lower an inflammatory responses, you know, loads and loads. And that inflammatory response of just the sun can help us start healing ourselves. And so he talks about getting safe sun and, and so on. And, you know, you just mentioned it yourself that a lot of people are in office buildings under the fluorescent lights. So they're really missing that whole sunlight. And, and what it does is tend to throw off our sleep because our, our body is not outside seeing the sunlight. So our body gets confused on when to produce melatonin. And, and want to go to sleep. So then our whole sleep cycle is disrupted just based on the fact that we're spending all day inside. So, you know, a top tip would be, you know, get outside at noon and go for at least a 20 or 30 minute walk. At least you're moving, at least you're, you know, getting some blood flow. And at the same time, you're getting in, you know, some vitamin D, depending on the weather, I guess, in, in Oklahoma. But, you know, just get outside and, and have your eyes see, see the light of the day. Um, sitting beside a window isn't good enough. You need that fresh air. You need to get outside and you need to get that natural sunlight that comes on to you, not through a window, but just in its natural state. So that would be the first thing I would say to people who are spending all day behind a desk. And then the really easy thing to do is eliminate things, right? So when we talk about food, uh, it's, it's always easier to eliminate and then add in. And this is my philosophy, but I always say shop around the outside of a grocery shop, yeah. you know, and yeah, you probably said it too, because mm -hmm. when you start to go down the middle of the grocery store, you start to get things that are, you know, packaged in plastic. So we're looking at endocrine disruptors, mm -hmm. right. And toxicity in the body. Um, you start to get things that have been so manufactured and so many preservatives in it that our body doesn't even know how to handle that stuff. And then, you know, we end up with, massive inflammatory responses. So I would, you know, encourage, I guess, your listeners to say, okay, I'm going to go for a week and I'm going to shop around the outside of the grocery store. And I'm going to choose things that are not in packages, so to speak, I guess meat will have to be in packages, but you know, you're looking at things like uh, really high quality protein and fats, which I can talk about and um, choosing, you know, veggies where you almost know where they're sourced from. Because if you know where they come from and you can buy local, you can kind of research, well, you know, is there spray on this or, um, you know, is it, are the veggies growing beside a major highway, <laughs> something like this and, mm -hmm. and start to understand where everything's coming from. So I really like doing that. I love, I spend time going to local markets and, and getting to know the local farmers and asking them questions. And I'm sure there's space in your area to do that and find those people. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, great advice. Um, you know, my listeners should have heard this before, but you know, one of <laughs> probably my biggest uh, ad advice when I'm on other podcasts and stuff, and people ask me is, uh, you know, eat foods with one ingredient. I mean, I, I say that probably every day, and it's exactly what yeah. you just said. You know, that you're going to find those on the outside aisle of the grocery store, and and so you know, meat it has one ingredient, broccoli has one ingredient, um, and and so you know, you're not getting box stuff that has 10 ingredients in it. And so, yeah, I think that's. A, a great and the box place. stuff is easy to go for, isn't it? Oh yeah. Because yeah. we've been trained to do it and we think it's normal, but um, you know, if I were to give somebody, you know, kind of their perfect day of, of eating, it's like, you know, have two eggs in the morning that are organic grass fed because the protein content is going to be different in those eggs versus other eggs um, that are, I guess, 
you know, kind of farm manufactured, mm -hmm. different environment, epigenetic environment for the chickens. We have to look at that too. Um, and so they'll produce different eggs and, uh, you know, toss in some spinach, toss in, you know, some ginger root, ginger root stabilizes sugars and uh, maybe, you know, some onions, make yourself up a yummy little omelet takes you, I don't know, 10 minutes and you're good to go. And the whole family can enjoy and benefit from it. Um, and it's pretty quick to make. And then, so you, you have your proteins, you have your fats and you have some, some carbs in there as well. So it's getting your whole meals in. And then you go off to lunch and you say, okay, well, what do I need? Well, really all you need is some, some veggies. Um, and, you know, root veggies are the ones that stabilize our sugars a little bit more. So, you know, some sweet potato, um, some beetroot, these kind of things, cook those up and then cook up some greens and then, you know, palm size of um, portion size of, of high quality meat. And I say, you know, grass fed meat, because again, the epigenetics for the cow and where it's raised is going to produce different meat. So it, it actually, I think we make it way more complicated than we need to make it. <laughs> and, and then variety. Uh, you know, I, I think we could list off, you know, 52 different kinds of vegetables if we needed to. There's loads yeah. of different kinds. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned, um, you know, a little bit about the mental aspect of epigenetics, which I don't think that I've really stated much. And so talk about, you know, the, the way we think and how that, you know, correlates with our epigenetics. Yeah. So each body, there's about six different kinds of bodies on the planet and they're all governed by, in a way, one primary hormone. And, and that's why we get different body shapes. So, um, you know, the biggest endomorphic body, um, they'll have the you know, largest bone mass on the planet. They're run by a hormone called prolactin and prolactin is the care type hormone. Uh, and then we go around and, and we look at the serotonin type body. Serotonin is quite even keeled people. And then we go into the dopamine and they're quite driven forward because that's what dopamine does to your body. Uh, and then we go into um, the adrenaline types, you know, see those guys jumping off mountains. <laughs> and, um, and then the oxytocin type, the oxytocin is, is that love hormone and, and ability to connect. So, you know, you take these primary hormones in the body and it produces a body type. Now the brain always matches the body type, no matter what. And the interesting part that I've noticed, and this is really where I've taken the deep dive is that a lot of people think that they have to be in a different body to perform and be accepted in their workplace and so on, and really start to turn off their natural talents. So if you have a prolactin type, um, they're going to naturally wanna care for people more than anybody else. It's their natural tendencies. And then you know we put them in a corner behind a computer and give them a job to do where they don't even get any human interaction. And, and that's really going to, in a way we say, downregulate them because they're not able to sit in the space and thrive the way they naturally want to thrive in this world. And, and so I have a philosophy around this, but I believe that's where a lot of these mental health issues are coming from because yes, you know, we have to take care of the gut microbiome and it talks to the brain and that's a great step to take. But what about everything that we're doing daily in our work? Does it actually align with the body that we're living in? Um, and I think it was really apparent to me during COVID, when I was working with a lot of the oxytocin type, they need human connection. 
Um, otherwise they don't thrive. And I was getting all these, you know, oxytocin types coming to the table being like, and I'm depressed. And I was thinking, oh, well, you know, who have you connected with in the last week? And they connected with nobody. They, they weren't able to see anybody's faces. They, and they, they zoom, you know, it's not the same. I just want to give people hugs because that builds oxytocin and, and connect with people. And, um, and, and they, they make great, you know, uh, presenters, salespeople, party planners, like, you know, these types of people. And, um, and, and they weren't able to do that. So I think it just showed me again, how important the environment is and thriving with your own primary hormone to keep building it. It'll, it'll feel great. And it lowers your inflammatory response, no matter what. So knowing how you think and thrive and see the world is probably, I would say step one and, and then choosing jobs, um, that, that really, you know, bring that out in you. Um, and then sitting in a space and saying, well, you know, this is who I am. This is awesome. <laughs> and I'm not going to be who mom and dad want me to be. Um, and I say mom and dad, because, um, we get shaped between the ages of zero and seven and society has taught us really to be one way. Uh, if you're not this way, you don't fit into the system very well and you're bad and, you know, but it, it shouldn't really be that way because we have six different types and they can all think differently. And if we can understand this and put them all in a, an environment to thrive, I think as a human race, we'll even start to, you know, evolve a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. That makes very, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about recovery because, I know that that's one of the ways we can, uh, I guess, alter our, our epigenetics and you mentioned sleep. And so give us maybe some, uh, some biohacks or something to just help us sleep better. I know you mentioned the, the sun and I think that's a great one. Just get out in the sun early morning. I tell people get out, you know, first thing in the morning, if you can, but, uh, yeah. you know, some, not all people can do that. And I guess I'm asking about that because, with what I see in clinic, I mean, gosh, so many people struggle with sleeping. And, and so give us some tips on maybe just how we can recover better, sleep better. Mm. Oh gosh. There's lots of stuff. Um, do, do you have a wearable device? I'm just curious. I, I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah what, a, what are you, what are you wearing? It's a, a whoop, whoop strap. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Okay. And what do you think about it? I like the whoop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've talked about it on here before. Matter of fact, I have a podcast with whoop way back a year ago. Uh, and I've tried some of the other devices, but I'm, I'm pretty, uh, hard on things. Like I get in my sauna that's 200 degrees and I jump in the cold pool and, uh, you know, I work out hard. And so the whoop, um, has been very durable and it stays on me all the time. And, uh, I, I find it, I, I feel like it's pretty accurate, you know, on the, the heart rate variability and my readiness score and all that. So, so yeah, I like whoop. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there are those wearable devices, right, that I think give people the self-awareness of mm -hmm. what they're doing and if it's benefiting them. And so that's always one way to start. If, and, and wearable devices are kind of this thing, you know, that, that just took off out of nowhere <laughs> and everyone has yeah. one now. Um, and so I guess that, that gives you the data if you're a data person or if you tend to overextend yourself, right, which potentially, you know, you're looking at that because, and you live in a meso body. So you would love to do as much as you can in a day <laughs> and we don't want you to burn out. So, you know, I think that would regulate you in particular. Now, let's say, you know, you're not the wearable device person 
and you just like to go by how you feel and what you're doing in your day. And that's actually me. I used to have a, an aura, but I found myself almost getting, and I had a whoop at some point too. I was almost getting obsessed with the data. <laughs> and I was it, it, like, it's, okay. It's easy yeah. to do. Yes. It's yeah. easy to do. It messes with your mind because if, if I, you know, don't get a good night's rest or whatever, or maybe I thought I got a good night's rest, but my whoop tells me otherwise. And, and I'm in the red then I'll see that. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have a crappy day, you know, and yeah. so it, it can mess with you for sure. Yeah. And I found myself saying actually, and like, you know, you don't need a device to tell you about your body. You just need to listen to your body. That was just my own personal perspective. And for sure. so, um, you know, I think the first thing for people to understand about themselves, do they live in an endo body, which wouldn't be more of a morning body if they're more ecto or, or meso, they would live in more of a morning type body. And so it's putting yourself almost at the start of your day to really organize your body clock to make sure it's going on the right clock to actually sleep. So, you know, I don't know if there's shift workers or people that listen to this who are shift workers. They have the toughest time, you know, mm -hmm. because their yeah. body clock is almost backwards. And I find things like the wearable devices really help those shift workers because it's just really hard for them to get back into that regulation and that recovery. Now, you know, let's say you're the nine to five job person. And, and I love what you said, you know, getting outside in the morning for a walk, fresh air, getting in the right nutrients for yourself and, and then, you know, heading off to work and, and then you go through your work day and those things, some things you can control and some things you can't. So I probably can't really touch on all of that, but if someone can get outside, at least an exercise between, you know, 12 and two, at least it gets that blood flow going and tells your body that you're still awake. <laughs> and that you're still moving otherwise we get that afternoon low and our body almost wants to go for a nap doesn't it um but we we want to get the blood flow moving again to say actually you know we're not quite done yet and so i always say if someone can get in some exercise between that 12 and 2 type slot it's it's going to boost some energy for the rest of the day and then we get into the evenings and so i did a bunch of studies actually on on sleep research during covid it was a big topic and um, we came up with, you know, our, our top five and, and I'm going to try to remember them and share them with you. But the first one was not eating too late. So we want our body to start its digestive process before it's sleeping. We don't want it to still digest while you're sleeping. So for example, um, eating between six and 8 PM and making sure you go to bed no longer than no later than 10 or 11 PM. Okay, so, so we've gotten that digestive process out of the way, and then our organs have time to heal because that's what sleep does is heal. We don't need to be digesting our food overnight. Well, it will a bit, but we want to be actually healing our body overnight. That's what the sleep does. So that would be the step one. And then that actually loops into almost a fasting period, doesn't it? So um, if, if you stop eating at eight and you don't start eating to, till 7 a.m., um, at the earliest, I guess, uh, you're sitting in a place where your body can heal because it's fasting and it's killing off cells that don't no longer need to be there. Um, I think it's Dr. Walter Longo who speaks about um, the longevity fasting. And I, I do think some people have taken it to a, a major extreme. Um, and I just always say, you know, the research has shown about 13 hours every day. Um, really benefits. So that 13 hour window approximately is going to give you some benefits on, on um, digestion and longevity. Uh, so that could be the second thing. And then, you know, the third thing, um, 
you know, we're a technology driven society. So we're in front of these blue lights, TVs, devices all the time. And I, I think we do underestimate what that does to ourselves because we're not able to produce a melatonin in the evenings to actually tell ourselves, well, we're shutting it down for the night. And so we're sitting in devices and we're still getting that light in our eyes. And so our, our brain goes, oh, we're still on, we're still working. And then, you know, you shut off your phone and two minutes later, you really want to go to sleep, but you can't because you're so stimulated. Right. And so um, I always tell people, you know, one to two hours before, just get rid of your devices. And then they say, well, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do with my life? And I say, I connect with your family, um, read a book, uh, put on some candles, um, start setting, you know, your senses up for sleep. And this would be, you know, my fourth thing is actually do set your senses up for sleep. There's lots of smells and oils and these kind of things that calm our nervous system. I mean, lavender is a good one and sage and people have essential oils. Um, a high quality ones are obviously the best because you get more concentrate in those, uh, but setting yourself up for that. And, and then that would loop me into to the next one of environment. You know, do you sleep with animals in your room? <laughs> do you sleep with someone who snores beside you? Do you, and, and managing that environment, um, I don't think, yeah, animals would probably be a tricky one unless you have the best behaving cat or dog in the world or bird or whatever you have. Um, and then, you know, is, is there noise, excess noise? Can you, you know, dim the lights down in your room to make it actually a, a place to sleep? Can you make it your sanctuary? Can you have no noise in there? Can you get some earplugs if, you know, your partner snores? Like these kind of things and just really setting yourself up for success. So it's an environmental thing, uh, like we're talking about, because that's what, how genes express themselves. So if you think, if you're stressed going into your bedroom to try to go to sleep, that's no good. <laughs> so we want to make it almost this sanctuary where you're like, oh, this is a really relaxing space for me to go. And that can go down to many levels. Those are all great things. And I think I talk about all those. And um, as you mentioned the nutrition, I think we probably overcomplicate the sleep you know, because people want, you know, medications and they overthink it when it really, it comes back to all the basic stuff. Like you said, circadian rhythm. I mean, get your body in a rhythm, get some sunlight, you know, sleep in a good environment, a cool, dark space, you know, stay off the electronics. And so it's really, I think, simple things that if you do each one of those can really move the needle a lot. Um, all that being said, uh, are there any kind of sleep supplements? I mean, I usually recommend magnesium because most people are magnesium deficient anyways, but um, anything like that, that you just recommend for people to kind of give them a little boost on sleeping? Yeah. Oh, I've done loads with supplements because it's it gives us kind of that kick to get our circadian rhythm back on point anyway right and um i mean i'm not here to promote products obviously but i've done quite a bit of research on some products um there's one called cortisol manager by integrative health um it's a white and yellow bottle i believe um, they have uh, ashwagandha in there and um and and that formula that they have seems to work quite well it's a bit on the pricey side, but um, I've had really a lot of success with that because usually what's happening is people are almost addicted to their own adrenaline and can't quite come off of it. Mm -hmm. And so to, for them to get into that um, more of that parasympathetic state, so that rest and digest mode, that supplementation can really help. So that's one. Um, sometimes I couple it with melatonin just to get their circadian rhythm back on point. 
and uh, the dosage size, obviously someone would have to speak to, to you or another health professional. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, reducing the anxiety. I, I've had a lot of success with tea, um, chamomile tea and, and really strong tea, you know, chamomile, lemon balm, uh, lavender teas. Um, these tend to really help people if they don't really love taking supplementation and it's quite affordable. Um, and magnesium, like you said, is quite a good one, especially for that endomorphic type body. Um, and, oh, you know, it could go on and on about it, but, um, yeah, I'd say melatonin and the cortisol manager are the top two that I, I really like to recommend. There's a really good quality melatonin out now by the brand Quicksilver. I don't know if you know that, that brand, but they're quite, quite good. Okay. And they're a U.S. brand. Both are U.S. brands. Um, and, and, and uh, if someone's looking for more kind of natural melatonin, there's tart cherry that you can always buy and that has melatonin properties in it. Um, but naturally, if you're building out your epigenetic profile, you can also add in foods that have these properties in them, like turkey has natural melatonin in it. So mm -hmm. this is something you could add to your diet some evenings to just help you on the more kind of natural and maybe more affordable level too, if you're not into supplementation. So there's lots of options we can look at that way. Well, give us um, just kind of a, a quick glimpse of your regimen uh, that you do to optimize your epigenetics. I mean, you, you talked a little bit about the breakfast, you know, kind of the, the optimal breakfast, but uh, take us through your day, maybe, you know, what kind of exercise you do, you know, what you eat, just, you know, what your day looks like. Sure. I mean, I should give some context. Um, I'm a reformed chronic fatigue syndrome person. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I have gotten myself into that hole and I think that's why I went down my own path. Um, so with everybody knowing that um, I have to watch that I don't overextend myself in the day, in my days, um, probably much like you, because the meso body loves to do that. So yeah, I, you know, I, I'll wake up um, I've gotten to a point actually where I don't wake up with an alarm because uh, it used to really stress me out. So I try to wake up when my body wants to wake up for the most part. And I'm a morning person. Um, I actually think that's important um, because your body sleeps and recovers as it needs to um, rather than us kind of telling it what it needs to do. We should start listening to it as well. Um, and then I go for actually five meals a day. So um, I'm burning quite a bit of energy throughout the day. So, you know, on my breakfast, and then I just try to keep my blood sugar stable throughout the day. Um, and all ancient medicine usually has us all eating about two hours a day, hmm. every two hours. Sorry. And uh, just to stabilize, even if it's a small snack, um, and the endomorphic type body could maybe go a little bit longer, but you know, the, the meso and the ecto cannot. And uh, so I go through my day and I, I actually tried to shop without have buying anything in a package once. It was really difficult, but in general, um, I try to shop really consciously. So um, I just take my, you know, reusable bag in and get loads of veggies. I'm not a huge fruit eater, but, you know, low glycemic fruits I eat. So berries are good ones. And then, like you said, like we've been saying, I just really shop around the outside of the grocery store, get a variety of high quality protein and then just mix it up throughout the week. So if I have like lamb at lunch, you know, maybe I'll do something chicken at dinner and the next day, you know, I'll do beef and so on. And because uh, different amino acid scores in the, in, in different varieties in the meats, and we need a different variety to keep 
our muscles um, recovering well and our bodies recovering well. Um, and then I'll do that two o'clock kind of exercise. Uh, so my body likes variety. So uh, recently I've been surfing, uh, doing some runs, some trail runs, um, and anything that I feel engaged in is really what I do. And I always tell people, if you don't like what you're doing for exercise, change it and choose something you like doing. Otherwise you won't do it. <laughs> and so, I mean, I used to do the gym thing uh, and I still go from time to time, but I like, you know, exploring that variety and I'm a big hiker. So those things really benefit me. Um, and then for me, it's really important. Uh, I've set uh, just timers on my phones and 8 p.m. rolls around and everything just shuts off. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's actually um, helped me get some time for myself. So, you know, I'm working with clients all day and giving my time. And uh, I realized there wasn't a lot of left, time left for myself. And uh, so I have some dinner and, and then in, in the evenings, I tend to just, you know, journal what went really well in my day and, and sit with myself and my own thoughts and, uh, you know, where I want to go and, and planning out my own you know, kind of visions for myself is really big. So um, that's what my day would look like. Um, there, there are times uh, in the winter where I love to have my body heat up a bit. So I will do a little bit of sauna, but I would do that a lot more if I was up in Canada <laughs> and uh, in, in those type of winters. And I would definitely do an infrared one because, you know, that vitamin D and uh, the healing properties from that is so essential. So I don't know exactly what the winters are like in Oklahoma, but I think, yeah, they're, you know, that's they're, they're bad. We get bad summers and bad winters. So we get, we get all the extremes in Oklahoma. So, <laughs> well, then I, I'm wondering if vitamin D is a really big one for people to yeah, get it, in supplementation. Yes, yes. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. I, and I check a lot of vitamin D levels. My listeners have heard me talk about that. I'm very big on vitamin D. Um, there's a, a, not to go down this rabbit hole, but there's a direct correlation with vitamin D levels in COVID outcomes. And that is, I've read not, lots about yes, that, has, yeah. but, but you never hear it reported like on the news. It's oh, so frustrating. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, I, I'm a big vitamin D guy and, and everybody's low. Like I check vitamin D levels universally and, and I mean, just about everybody's low. So it's, it's almost it's a, a global thing. Yeah. Um, it's, a, and I think you would really like that book that I mentioned. Yeah. No, I'm going to uh, check that out. Yeah. Grace sure. the sun. Um, cause when I read that, it's just really all added up to me and I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. You know, we really underestimate the, the power of the sun yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's not conducive. Uh, uh, I think. Yeah, who we no are. doubt. Well, speaking mm -hmm. of books, uh, you have a book coming out here just in a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. uh, called mm -hmm. I am human again. So mm -hmm. tell us about that. So I wanted to explain to people epigenetics on a neurological front. Um, I think it's really easy to talk about the tangibles around, you know, nutrition and sleep and circadian rhythm. And those are really the bite-sized bits that we can do. But when it comes to the neurological front, I've realized that a lot of people have a tough time comprehending it because we can't see our thoughts. Does that make sense? And so I went on my own journey um, just around understanding my thought processes of how I was conditioned and who I thought I had to be and how it was creating almost these responses in me that weren't benefiting who I am. And I went on a journey of repatterning my mind around that of who I thought I was and who I thought I should be compared to who I actually am. And I wrote a storyline around it and yeah, they're all my patterns. And so it's pretty deep and vulnerable actually that this book's going to be out, but I thought, you know, if I don't share it, then, you know, at the end of the day, um, 
I, I'm not really being my authentic self and I'm not helping people be theirs. And that's really the whole point of the book is to put that out there and to help out people understand and probably relate into some of the unconscious patterns we're living that we're just programmed to be from day one, um, just through systems, through schools, through, you know, decades of how parents think they should parent. And, um, and it just recreates, um, I, I want to say disease and illnesses over and over again. And so my goal is to help people not live in that state. And, um, and that's, that's the journey I'm on. So that's the book. Yeah. Uh, so I am human again is the book and that will be out in a couple of weeks. So can people find that on Amazon or, uh, on, mm -hmm. on your website, which I'll mention here in a second. It'll be on Amazon and there'll be a link, yeah, a direct link on my homepage as well uh, to pop on over and it'll link into Amazon as well. So, okay. uh, um, and so speaking of your website is Ann Shivas, so that's uh, S-H-I-V-A-S.com. And that's where people can learn more about you, work with you and all that. Is that correct? Yeah. And C Chavez, I had to put the C in the middle my middle initial, but yeah, it's in there. And uh, yeah, they can look up my name and it'll pop up somewhere. And yeah, uh, there's, there's lots they can learn around epigenetics and themselves if they want to. So, so the website is Anna C Chavez. Yeah. And C Chavez.com. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Uh, and, and A N N C Chavez.com. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I'll put it in the show notes. So people uh, can, can oh, find thanks, it e Greg. easily. So, okay. Well, so as we wrap up here, I always ask my guests if they could give us one health tip that would make us healthier today. So since we're talking about epigenetics, uh, if you could just kind of pick one, um, you know, what would you say? Oh gosh, I had mine before and now I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I really think the biggest thing, and this is on a global scale, um, we need to know ourselves better. So anything you can do in your day to understand your body better is going to be my number one tip. So if you eat a food and you know, it doesn't benefit you stop eating it and, and just start to really either take notes or understand yourself of, of what actually helps you thrive in your days and what doesn't, and then stick in that lane of what really benefits you. It can be on any level, nutrition, exercise, who you're hanging out with, uh, what job you're doing, all this stuff. So that would be my number one tip. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. All right. I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, um, Dr. Ann Shivas, we appreciate your time. Very interesting uh, conversation here. So um, encourage everybody to check her out on the, on the website and thank you for listening. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks Greg. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.